Do you know what my daughter's nurse told her this morning? That in a girl's voice lies temptation. A known fact. Eloquence in a woman means promiscuity. Promiscuity of the mind leads to promiscuity of the body. She doesn't believe her yet, but she will. She'll grow up just like her mother. She'll marry, bear children, and honor her family. Spend her youth in needlepoint and rue the day she was born a girl. And when she dies, she'll wonder why she obeyed all the rules of God and country because no biblical hell could ever be worse than this state of perpetual inconsequence. Hello and welcome to History and Film. I'm Rich Simmons. A common theme along our journey here is how historical changes take a long time. This film was the first on the list that made me feel like we were finally out of our unsophisticated barbaric past. No more dark, dank medieval times, but a more modern world full of culture and light. Part of that is just in the tone of our movie today, but it also highlights the significance of the Renaissance that we began discussing last month with The Agony and the Ecstasy. This also may be the first film on our journey that deals with female empowerment. Sure, we've had strong women like Joan of Arc and Eleanor of Aquitaine, but their stories didn't focus on the larger role of women in society as pointedly as Dangerous Beauty does. Our protagonist today is Veronica Franco, a young woman living in Venice at a time when the city lent its name to an independent republic in what is now northeastern Italy. Now her Wikipedia page is fairly short, and the movie is based on a book that was written about her in 1992 called The Honest Courtesan by Margaret Rosenthal. Which, as it appears to be classified as nonfiction, I'm sure I can safely assume she did her research, more than I have for sure, so the bigger question is how faithful the movie is to the book. The opening text says, Venice, 1583, the richest and most decadent city in Europe. Its women were treated like property. Few even knew how to read. But there were some who enjoyed a different fate. The following story is true. So they don't say based on a true story. They say it's true. Great, right? We can assume this will all be basically a documentary in narrative form. Well, I still don't know because they've already messed up. The events in this film are not from 1583. There's no reason to say 1583. They would have been better off just not listing a date at all. Anyway, let's begin. A group of well-dressed teenage girls are at work around a table doing, I believe, needlework. Two of them, Veronica Franco and her friend Beatrice, find the work boring and are audacious enough to find things like books interesting. One woman even has the line, Young ladies have better things to do than poison their minds with books. The two fake illness to escape out to the canals of Venice where the beautiful courtesans are sailing by, much to the excitement of the crowd, especially, of course, the men. It took me a bit to realize where I'd seen her before, but the actress playing Veronica is Catherine McCormack, who played William Wallace's wife in Braveheart. Dangerous Beauty came out four years later, and she's blonde here, so if I hadn't seen Braveheart so often, I wouldn't have even noticed her. One of the young men carousing with the courtesans is Beatrice's brother Marco, played by Rufus Sewell, who we saw playing the villain in A Knight's Tale. The impression we get here is that he's been away for a few years, and while Veronica has long been smitten with him, the last time he was in Venice, she was too young to attract his attention. Now she's a young woman, and the two are quickly all over each other. 
But the big wrinkle comes with Venice's views of marriage at the time. Marrying for love is not a thing. Marco's family is much higher in the social order, and he knows he will have to make a political alliance through his marriage for the good of Venice. Veronica is devastated and seems unwilling to forgive him. He hadn't meant to be hurtful, he, he does care for her, but insists it's out of his control. And it's easy for us to forget today that the idea of marrying for love is a relatively new thing for humans. Marco's father even warns his son when he sees the two together. Marriage isn't romantic, he chastises. So, here the movie takes a rather abrupt turn. Veronica's mother basically says, well, if you can't marry Marco, just become a prostitute. The overall tone of the film is relatively comedic, but this still comes out of nowhere and seems to be given as an option only because the real-life Veronica was a courtesan and they had to get there somehow, not because that was the natural next step in the movie's narrative. In reality, Veronica was probably raised to be a courtesan from a much younger age as a way to attract a husband from a higher status. And indeed, she was married and had her first kid by the age of 18, though the marriage didn't last. But again, all that's not in this film. Anyway, so we get a movie montage of her mother, who had been a courtesan herself, teaching Veronica to be a sophisticated courtesan. There were two types of courtesans in Venice during the Renaissance, those simply offering their bodies down by the canals, and the higher class who were expected to be as intellectually stimulating to their clients as they were sexually. Veronica is very reluctant to enter this life until her mom takes her to a library and notes that courtesans are the most educated women in the world. After the montage, she gets to work and goes on her first date. She runs into Marco while out with another guy and gives him the cold shoulder. It all seems odd. I thought the whole reason she became a courtesan was it was the one way she could further her relationship with Marco since she would never be allowed to marry him, but now she refuses to book him as a client. It seems a bit of her wanting to hurt him after he hurt her kind of thing. Veronica quickly becomes the most popular courtesan in Venice. She's the smartest and the prettiest. She gets into a poetry slam battle with Marco's cousin, played by Oliver Platt, and her success further solidifies her reputation. Marco does get married to a woman his dad arranged for him. I don't think he even met her until the wedding. She's actually played by a young Naomi Watts, three years before her breakout role in Mulholland Drive. To make her the counter to Veronica in the film, she's very dull, both intellectually and sexually. She says her job is to be a good wife and provide sons, and she doesn't seem interested in being a person outside of filling those two roles. Marco's uncle publishes a book of Veronica's poetry. She was a published poet in real life. And a drunk and jealous Oliver Platt says it's just because she's a whore. They have another poetry battle with swords. It starts out playful enough, but turns earnestly violent and ends with Platt's character punching Veronica in the face. Marco comes to her defense, and the two finally give in to their feelings for each other and sleep together for the first time. He suggests that he could just support her and keep her as a permanent mistress, but she refuses, saying he would eventually tire of her. We get word in the city of a pending military conflict against the Turks over the island of Cyprus. This conflict helps us correctly place the movie in our timeline. The Fourth Ottoman-Venetian War was from 1570 to 1573. So again, I really don't know why the movie tries to place this in 1583. Cyprus lies just south of Anatolia in the eastern part of the Mediterranean Sea. So geographically, it seems a logical part of the Turkish Ottoman Empire, but the Venetians have controlled it for 100 years at this point, and it's their outpost for trade with the east. 
Venice is worried about the might of the Ottoman navy and says their only hope is to convince King Henry III of France to contribute ships to their cause or all is lost. When Henry visits, the nobles of the city pressure Veronica into seducing the king to get him to provide the ships they need. It works, and of course, Marco is jealous. She says she was only doing her duty, just as he does when trying to father children with his wife. They've been seeing a lot of each other recently, and both their families are warning them against getting too attached to each other. Marco goes off to fight in the war, where the French ships make all the difference. Now, here we have deviated from the historical record. Venice and its allies did defeat a strong Ottoman navy, but France wasn't a significant player in the victory. Also, the Ottomans quickly bounced back, and Venice ultimately had to give up control of Cyprus. But the inclusion of Henry III wasn't out of nowhere. It is believed Veronica did have the French king as a client briefly, but it likely wasn't tied to this war effort. Veronica's friend from the beginning, Beatrice, asked her to train her young daughter to be a courtesan when she comes of age. Beatrice had married a much older man earlier in the film, a political match. Veronica is shocked at the request from her friend of a higher social station. Surely the life of a courtesan isn't what she wants for her daughter. And in one of my favorite lines of the film, Beatrice says that nothing could be worse than living in a state of perpetual inconsequence. An outbreak of the plague hits the city, and the religious zealots who have been hovering in the background during much of the film, protesting Venice's hedonism, finally get people to start listening to them. They say that the war and the plague are God's punishment on the city. They're able to bring in the Inquisition to sit in judgment on the city, and Veronica is arrested and charged with witchcraft. Yes, in 1577, Veronica Franco did in fact face the Inquisition. We often hear of the Spanish Inquisition, as it was just one of the most severe, but basically the Inquisition was an arm of the Catholic Church tasked with investigating and punishing acts of heresy. Their work accelerated in the world of the Protestant Reformation. In a weird turn, Oliver Platt's character has joined the church and is the attorney prosecuting Veronica. He claims her ability to seduce is witchcraft and the men of Venice are powerless against her. In a tense courtroom scene, I was convinced this film was going to end in her execution. Marco tries to come to her defense saying that if she's guilty, then I am her accomplice and I am guilty too. Beatrice yells out that if she's a witch, so is every woman in Venice. And the court isn't buying it. Marco calls for every man who's hired Veronica to stand with her now and not bow before this farce of a trial. He just gets silence in return. But just before the head of the Inquisition pronounces her guilty, another man joins Marco in standing, the first man she slept with on her first night as a courtesan. The rest of the men stand, and a leader of the Venice, the Doge, says perhaps a common whore isn't worth the time of the Inquisition. The court has no choice but to dismiss the charges, the head of the Inquisition is flabbergasted at Venice's acceptance and tolerance of this kind of debauchery. The closing text of the film says the age of the courtesans had ended. In the years to come, Veronica Franco used her home as a sanctuary for victims of the Inquisition. She and Marco Veneer remained lovers for the rest of their lives. I don't know how true this is. Marco doesn't show up in any of my research, but I'll trust the filmmakers relied on the author's research here and didn't just make that up. Dangerous Beauty has a 70% on Rotten Tomatoes, and that's probably fair. It's enjoyable, but not great. It's very uneven. It has R-rated sex scenes in what otherwise feels like a PG romantic comedy. I think it's well cast, but the writing is just really weak, to the point that you feel bad for the actors. Oliver Platt stands out as particularly bad here, but I don't think it's his fault. Just poor writing and directing. 
A little more briefly on Henry III of France. He wasn't the king of France until 1574, so after the Venetian War against the Ottoman Empire had already ended. He was the fourth son of Henry II and brother to Charles IX, who was king during the Bartholomew Days Massacre we discussed last week. Henry fathered no children and was the last of the French House of Valois. Rumors about his sexuality date back to his lifetime, though nothing concrete. The movie today hints that during his encounter with Veronica, she may not be able to provide him with what he wants. And then the next morning shows him walking gingerly after his night with her. A little word origin for us. Courtesan is related to court itself. As marriage wasn't for love back in the day, kings and queens might often find love and companionship with others at court. Then some might be trained specifically to serve those at court. Courtesans. This is also tied into the modern usage of courtship or to court someone romantically. Elsewhere in the world around this time, Ivan the Terrible's Massacre of Novgorod, which the film we watched conveniently ended before, was in 1570, the same year the Fourth Ottoman-Venetian War began. Also that year, Pope Pius V issued a papal bull excommunicating all those who obeyed Elizabeth I of England. Remember that her father founded the Church of England and her sister Mary tried to bring Catholicism back before Elizabeth returned the country again to Protestantism. In 1577, the same year as Veronica's trial, Sir Francis Drake begins his trip to circumnavigate the earth. Veronica Franco died in 1591, the same year that some believe William Shakespeare may have begun to write his most famous play, Romeo and Juliet. And that's where we're headed next week. Another romance starring perhaps the most iconic writer in the history of the world with the 1998 Oscar winner for Best Picture, Shakespeare in Love. <laughs>